Welcome to the sermon podcast for Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Central South Carolina. We thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from the Word of God, and we pray that God will both bless you and speak to you as you listen and apply His Word to your life. Always go back in my mind to when I was in college, and I remember I was at a revival meeting, I believe, and the music leader at the time ended the, the invitation song was "I Surrender All," and he challenged us: if we don't mean it, don't sing it. And for a while, I had to quit singing, and God really convicted me during that time to the point where later I could. Sing, I surrender all. And I pray that we do mean that when we sing it. Now, again, we sometimes sing it and we, there's times that we take things back. But we need to be willing to give up whatever God asks us to give up. Amen? Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. I almost call this part two of asking God for the right things because I saw... As I'm reading, I'm just like, well, this seems to fly in the face of what we just shared last week. But it doesn't. But it appears that way because we talked about not being selfish and are asking for things for ourselves. But as I said, that doesn't mean don't ask for things. And these two, these beggars that we read in Mark and it says one. I'm going to touch on that in a minute. There was two beggars that were there that were blind, or at least one of them was blind. And... Um, Asking for something for himself. But I think you will see that he followed what Jesus taught as far as he was focused on not just his circumstances, but on Christ's character. And we see also some other things. I'm going to get to as I preach the message. But Mark chapter 10, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, beginning in verse 46. And before we read, if you would, take your Bible and... Hold it up over your head and say along with me now, this is the word of God. I will read it, I will believe it, and I will obey it by the grace of God. Every time you read the word of God, that is God speaking to you. And I hope and pray that you read it often. It's a bottomless well. And every time I read it, it seems that I get something else or God emphasizes something else. And as I was reading it this time in preparation for this moment, this message, certainly he showed me some new things and I want you to see those as well. I want to remind you just briefly, just briefly from last week, we talked about asking God for the right things. And we said as we're asking, and I was focusing on James and John uh, before I read this section here. Focusing on James and John asking for thrones next to Jesus. We said, keep your destination in mind. Our destination is the will of God, but ultimately our destination is heaven. They were heading to Jerusalem. We are heading for glory land. But let God lead the way. Jesus was leading the way there. Learn the lessons that you were being taught. And we talked about all the different lessons they had learned leading up to that moment, and remember the basis for our prayers is not our circumstances, but is 
his, Jesus' character or God's character, and then also make the priority the priority. So that was all last week. Now, after having talked about asking for the right things, we're going to see these two asking for something from Jesus. So let's begin reading in Mark 10, and I'm going to read 46 to the end, and then I'm going to back up a little bit. But verse 46 says this, And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd help us as we look at this passage, that we'd understand the things this man was asking for, but also that we would see the desperation of his prayer, of his plea, of his request. And God, that you would make us to be as desperate as this blind beggar was in our lives for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The title of my message, again, I didn't title it part two from last week. It's just simply this, are we desperate enough? Are we desperate enough? I want you to see Jesus here, again, keep in mind, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Understand the context. And the context is this. When we read chapter 11, the very next thing that happens, Jesus is sending two disciples to go and get the donkey so that he can ride into Jerusalem, beginning Passion Week, which ends with his crucifixion and then his resurrection on the first day of the, of the new week after that. And so, therefore, this is now, his destination is in sight. The light is at the end of the tunnel, if you will, of his life and ministry. He now clearly sees, I'm heading to the cross. The destination is in mind. His payment of sin is there in the forefront of his thoughts. And he's the last thing that happens before he sends them is this interaction. He's at a determined destination of being crucified. And this takes place one week before that happens. Now, as I read this and as I share this, I want to deal with some contradictions. Because this is one of the places that unbelievers or critics of the Bible want to say, well, see, there's contradictions in God's word. And there's not. But I want you to see, number one, the first thing that jumped off my page, and I don't know why it jumped off my page this week, 
was a fact that as they were come to Jericho. Now, there's parallel passages in Matthew and in Luke. And Matthew, two, two apparent contradictions, which are not contradictions. Let me just give them to you now, and then I'll hit them one at a time very quickly, is this. One, Matthew says they were leaving Jericho, and Mark says they're coming to Jericho, and then went out of Jericho. Which one? You say, well, that's just a little thing. But there are people that, when people come to you and say, well, how, the Bible's not true. See, there's contradictions. This says one, this says another. And then the other one is where in Mark, it's one man. But if you look in Matthew, and actually Mark and Luke, it's one man. But in Matthew, it's two. And they say, see, there's a contradiction. So number one, understand this. And the reason Jericho jumped off my page is because although in my mind, when I go back, you hear talk about Jericho all the time. But in my childlike mind, I say, well, wait a minute. Wasn't Jericho destroyed? Didn't Joshua walk around the walls of Jericho and the walls fell down? You remember that? Wave your hand if you remember that, right? And I also remember that the command was given that Jericho should never be rebuilt. You go back and you'll find it. Here's the thing. Contradiction that's not a contradiction, number one. There's two Jerichos. And by two Jerichos, I mean it was the same place, but there was old Jericho, which the walls fell down, that was never rebuilt. And then there was a new Jericho that was built near there that was built because there was a community of people there that, that moved into that area, and they did build a city. They called it Jericho, but it was not the same as the city of Jericho that the walls came down. And so, therefore, there are two Jerichos in Jewish history, and both locations were known. So, therefore, both are correct. He was walking past the destroyed Jericho, but out of the new Jericho. Number two, the reason why one, one beggar is mentioned in Mark and Luke, and two are mentioned in Matthew over in chapter 20, is because there were two but Mark and Luke focus on the fact they're both basically calling the same thing. And one was apparently louder than the other. But both of them, their message was the same. Or their request was the same. And so therefore, they're not contradictions at all. It's simply the emphasis is placed on a sole message that is here. Number two thing I want you to see. And this is where I want to back up for a moment. Look back in verse 42 and read that to verse 45 with me. I find this amazing. Jesus had just criticized or been critical of John and James's request. And in verse 42, Jesus called, and this is after they'd asked for the thrones. Jesus said, it's not mine to give, and can you even bear that cost? And the other disciples got mad at John and James and then, verse 42, Jesus called them unto him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. Now, focus on the part about the fact that 
talking about the least being first and the first being last. And then Jesus saying, even I did not come to be ministered to, but to minister. And just as he says this, he encounters two people that need ministering to. I find that in my life, it never ceases to fail. When I preach a, a, a profound message or I come upon some profound thought or, or I have something that I'm like, wow, that's amazing there. And I make some proclamation like, boy, I'm going to do that. God then finds a way to test me. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus was tested, but I think Jesus is supernaturally, divinely inspired will of God, the point that Jesus saying, I didn't come to minister, but to, to be ministered to, but to minister is then made by the fact that the least of the least, the last of the last, blind beggars happen to be along the way just as he's about to go into, or on the way to Jerusalem. Leaving Jericho on the way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jericho would have been east of Jerusalem, but they're there on the path. Mine's on the cross, and now here's two beggars. But Jesus said, I'm going to minister. It's amazing to me how that takes place. But I want you to see, number two, not just the dealing with, with the apparent contradictions, but I want you to look with me, if you will, at the beggar's desperation. And really, this is the thrust of my message this morning is, are we desperate enough in our prayer lives? Are we desperate enough in our Christian lives, in our journey, as we talked about this morning in Sunday school? Are we desperate enough? These men understand what was going on here. They are the last. They are the least. They're poor. They're panhandling. They're blind. Now, I don't know if you're like me. I'm guessing that most of you probably are a little bit in this way. Some of you may be better than I am at this because sometimes I can be pretty cynical about it, but I come across panhandlers all the time. Do you? People on the side of the road. Hold up. In fact, I've seen this lady down here, had not stopped to talk to her. I don't, I've seen her at least half a dozen times. And maybe I should stop and talk to her holding up a little sign that says, well, work for food as you cross uh, the recreation place going down 133 into Clemson. There she is. She's got a nice car. I'm, and again, I get, I get judgmental. I'm like, wait a minute, you got a nice car, a nice truck there. But I'll work for food. And sometimes I can get awfully cynical and I get awful busy and I don't have time to stop. And is that really a real thing or are they really, really in need or, or whatever the, might, the, the, the problem might be. But the same thing happened then. But Jesus stops for the least. When we look and we see people with those signs in our minds, say, was that a real deal or is that really in need? Or are they just really just trying to, you know, get away with something or whatever the situation might be? Jesus didn't stop to investigate that. And he said, well, Jesus knows everything. But my point is this. These were the ones that you would not stop for. Beggars in that day were not thought well of. Blind people could not say, well, maybe they're faking being blind. Jesus knew. But my point is this. Didn't matter. Jesus is ministering to people. But I want you to see this as well. It was their desperation. How desperate are we to get a hold of God? How desperate are we to shake the throne room of glory, if you will? How desperate are we to fall on our knees and ask? You say, well, preacher, we just talked about praying last week and asking for the right things. These men were asking for the right things. 
I want you to see these men. Listen, as we go back to that list, we talk about keep the destination in mind. These men, as far as we can tell, were not yet saved, what we would call saved. They didn't use the word then. But they were believers. At least this Bartimaeus was a believer. Look at the phrases that he uses in this passage. We sometimes don't catch this, but I want to draw this out to you. This person here understood who Jesus was. He understood it wasn't based on his circumstances that he's praying. It's based on his character that he's praying. It says when he heard that it was Jesus. Verse 47, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out. He heard it was Jesus. You say, what does that have to do with anything? Because he heard the things about Jesus and what he could do. He understood what he was capable of, what he had done before. But also he believed that he was the promised Messiah. You say, well, how do you know that? Because it says he cries out, son of David, have mercy on me. That was a declaration of his faith in Jesus being the Messiah. As it was when he calls him the, the next day, he, goes, he says, uh, son of David, have mercy on him. And then he says to him, calls him Lord later on. And then in one, and over in Matthew, he calls him Rabboni. In other words, master teacher. He believed that he was the promised Messiah. He believed that. He had heard, he had learned the lessons, as we talked about last week, that Jesus could heal the sick, that there was nothing that Jesus could not do. And he also remembered the basis for his request. Because he calls on him, and I want to touch on this first, and I'm going to go back to his desperation. But he calls on him, and Jesus eventually goes over to him and says, what can I do for you? And I want you to get the idea of this. When we pray, God wants and God knows what he can do for us, but it's almost as if he's going to come to us and say, well, what can I do for you? You got my attention now. What do you want? And remember I talked last week about not being selfish in our prayers. And you say, well, was this man being selfish? Jesus asked him, what can I do for you? And he says, will you restore my sight? Will you restore my sight? And he said, well, isn't that, you know, being Selfish? Catch this now. Don't miss this. And then I'm going to go back to the desperation, but I'm going to hit this now. When he says, will you restore my sight, and Jesus, based on his faith, said, you are made whole. Doesn't mean, now that, by the way, made whole was basically saying, just like he told the woman who had the issue of blood, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has redeemed you. Your faith has saved you, if we were using today's phrases. Your faith has saved you. And also, I'm going to heal your blindness. Remember the layman that they dropped down the four corners through the roof of the house? And he says, your faith has made you whole, and, they, and your sins be forgiven you. And he says unto him, they, they say, well, how can you forgive sins? Only God can do that. And he says, I'll show you I have the power to forgive sins. Also, get up and take up your bed and walk. It's the same idea here. You're made whole. Your sins are forgiven you. And so my point is this. He wasn't, based, wasn't praying to, God, to Jesus just based, or making a request to Jesus just based on his circumstances. It was based on his character knowing what he had heard that Jesus could do anything. And so therefore we ought to pray knowing that God can do anything. But also he asks him something. And the key is this. And if you're not careful, you'll miss it. 
Verse 52. Go thy way. You see that? Look there closely. I'm going to slow down. I get going fast sometimes. Jesus said unto him, this is after, he says, go thy way. I, I, I want to receive my sight. And Jesus says, go thy way. Thy faith have made thee whole. And what did the man do? Somebody tell me. He followed Jesus. The main thing was the main thing. The priority was the priority. What this man was asking was basically, hey, restore my sight and I'm going to be able to follow you. It wasn't that he wasn't, he would have wanted to follow Jesus. He believed Jesus was the son of David. He believed Jesus was the Messiah, the, the one that was going to come, the promised of the prophets. He believed that. And then when he was able, he said, now I'm following you. Jesus says, okay, now go on your way. And he said, my way is your way. And he followed him. He became a follower of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, it's not a contradiction to what we were talking about last week about asking for the right things. When you ask God, everything that you ask God for ought to be heading towards the priority of the calling that he has on you and heading towards getting ready for heaven. And God has a purpose and a plan for you. And so therefore, you know, I need a car. Lord, can you help me get a car? A car so that you can do what? Go out on vacation and miss church and, 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 and run from God or whatever? Or is it so that you can go out and you can go to church? Or you can go to work so that you can provide for your family? Or that you can go and minister to others? The things that we ask for, how do they help us in ministering to others? How do they help us in our call for him? That doesn't mean God doesn't delight in giving us things. I'm simply saying if we focus our prayers on not just how it benefits me, but also how it helps me fulfill God's calling for me. He gave him his sight, and with his sight, he didn't say, okay, thank you so much, see you later. He said, now I can follow you. A blind man couldn't follow Jesus. A blind beggar couldn't be a follower of Jesus. But now... I can follow him. The things that we're asking for. The things that are we desperate for. Here's the thing that I want you to see. This man was desperate for Jesus to work in his life. He was desperate for his call for mercy. Remember how I said I believe this man was proclaiming his faith in Christ by calling him the son of David, by calling him uh, Lord, and by calling him Rabboni over in Matthew? The reason is, is because he says to him, hey, show grace on me. Give me something that I don't deserve. No, he's saying, listen, don't give me what I do deserve. Remember the difference in mercy and grace. Never forget this. And I know you've been taught this by the preachers, and I know you've heard it from me, but mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. But he was saying, God, have mercy. Don't give me what I deserve. Son of David, Messiah, Lord, don't give me what I do deserve. That was a call of repentance. He was saying, listen, I believe on you. That's why Jesus said, thy faith have made thee whole. But he was desperate for salvation. Oh, listen, if you're saved today, there was a point in time, if your faith is in Jesus Christ and you've been forgiven of your sins, there was a point in time in your life that you were desperate for salvation. You were desperate for God to wash away your sins. 
because you realize there's no other way. I have no other option. There's nothing else that I can do. This man could not do anything to have his sight restored, and he could do nothing to save his soul, but he's asking for mercy from God. He was desperate. But he was desperate enough to keep on calling. Desperate enough to keep on calling. And I'm going to put it this way. He was desperate enough to keep on calling despite the complaints of the crowd and perhaps some unbelievers. There was Not everybody in the crowd that was following Jesus was a believer, right? We know that because not all the disciples were believers. Judas was not. But it also says there was a great number of people that were following him not everybody in that great number of people was yet a believer that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. Remember when there was a great crowd that he fed and then he talked about uh, eating his body and drinking his blood. He talked about some deep things and they all went away from him. Remember the rich young ruler who went away from him? Not everybody that heard of him, not everybody that followed him was what we would term a Christian, a believer today. And there were some people in that crowd that were saying, pipe down. Be quiet, beggar. Be quiet, blind man. Be quiet. And he kept on calling, Lord, Master, Son of David, Lord, please have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me over and over and over again. And my question to you is this. Will you keep calling on God for what God wants to do in your life despite the fact that there are some unbelievers that are going to look at you and say, you're ridiculous. You are ignorant to believe in some fairy in the sky. You are being silly. Are you willing to keep on calling God even though there's some ridicule and some scorn and there's some people that can tell you to pipe down and be quiet? There are some things that you need to ask God for today. There are some things that you need to be turning to God in desperation for today. But yet, the world might tell you, listen, God doesn't have time for that. There is a God, and certainly you're, making, you're calling out to thin air. There's nobody up there to hear you anyway. Are you going to embrace the scorn and call on him anyway? And number two, part of that is, are you desperate enough to call despite the believers telling you? Knock it off. Pipe down. Stop bothering him. We look on down and we know there was many that were following, but it says, verse 47, he began to cry out, say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. I can imagine that the disciples, he said, doesn't say who. I understand that. But in my mind, I'm looking at this and I'm hearing some people that are trying to hear Jesus teach or trying to follow him or trying to get close and say, hey, you get back in line, buddy. You're the last. I was here first. But also, I think there were some church workers there. There were the disciples there going, hey, listen, now is not the time. Who do you think you are? There are some believers there. It might have been Peter or John or James or Philip or Matthew saying, hey, shh. And sometimes there's people in Christianity, in the church, 
They're going to come to you and say, stop asking God for that. Stop bothering God with that. If he hasn't answered by now, he's not going to answer. Stop calling on him. Stop bothering him. The things that you're asking for, it's not important in the grand scheme of things. Don't you see that Jesus is on a mission here? Don't you see that God has work to do? Well, you, are you desperate enough to keep calling on God even when Christian people tell you, stop? Oh, my friends, that we would be desperate enough to say, oh, I've got to get a hold like that woman. I've got to get a hold just if I can get a hold of the cloak, if I can just touch him. Oh, the desperation in this Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, in his condition. Are we desperate enough to ask for the right things? I touched on this already, but he asked for something that would allow him to fulfill the purpose that God had for him. Allow him to be what God wanted him to be, a follower of Jesus Christ. Again, I said it's no, it was no mistake that Jesus, right after talking about the last being first and the first being last, and the master has got to be the servant, and even Jesus didn't come to be master. He came to be a servant and to minister. And now, let me prove it to you. And Jesus stops what he's doing. They're walking along the way. No doubt, like many times before, Jesus had been teaching along the way. Perhaps he was talking about the walls of Jericho. Can you imagine what it must have been like to walk along? I just want to stop right there for a minute. To walk along with Jesus. As he... I don't think... Is anybody here... I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I don't think anybody here has been to the promised land. Maybe you have. But I've often wanted to go to Israel. To be able to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Right? To be able to walk on the places that he would walk. To walk around the Sea of Galilee. To walk into Bethlehem. To go and see the Wailing Wall. To go and see the tomb where they think Jesus was buried. To go and see the place where they think he was crucified. That would be amazing. And I would, I've always wanted to do that. Would love to someday have the opportunity to do that. But can, and they have tour guides and all kinds. And, and by the way, it can be a bit of a tourist trap from what I've been told. But can you imagine your tour guide is Jesus himself? Instead of, we think this is where Jesus walked, and we think this is the path that he took up to Golgotha, and we think that's the place where he was crucified, to walk along with Jesus and him being like saying, this is actually where I, where I, where I was walking. I'm actually on, he was telling them, I'm on my way to die on a cross. Uh, walking by Jericho and remind them about how, G, about how Joseph, or, I'm sorry, Joshua led the Israelites to march around the city seven times and on the seventh day to march around it seven times and then to, on that seventh time to shout and the walls come down. What a sight that would have been. What an amazing. And can you imagine the people just hanging on every word? And then all of a sudden you're hearing, Lord, Jesus, have mercy. And people are like, shh. And the disciples are like, shh. And then Jesus just stops. Have him come up here. Have him come up here. Bring them up to me. What can I do for you? And here's my point. Are you desperate enough to face Jesus face to face? Are you desperate enough to face be face before the Lord our God? And when you pray in Jesus' name, that's what you're doing. And say, oh God, this is what I want you to do. This is what I need to do. This is what I want so that I can follow you. Are you desperate enough? 
I pray that we'd be desperate enough to ask for the right things, the priority things, the things that allow us to fulfill what God has called us to do, the things that allow us to be all that God has called us to be. So we go through hardships and we go through disappointments. And remember the, blind, the other blind man? There's lots of blind people in the, in the Bible times, but the other blind man that Jesus healed, before he healed him, the disciples said to him, did this man sin or did his parents sin? Because they believe that's why he was blind. He was born blind. And Jesus said, neither sin. Now they had sinned, but that's not the reason why he's blind. He's blind so that I may be glorified in healing him. God can be glorified in our desperation as we call on him. And I'm telling you, I know there are things in your hearts. I know there's things in my life that I just need to desperately just keep on calling out to God. God, have mercy. God, please. And when we do, we see the last point I want you to see. That's dealing with Jesus' compassion. He just stops. He stops on his way to the cross. He stops on his tour through the Jericho area. He stops in his teaching or whatever it was he was trying, whatever bold, wonderful, loving truth that he was giving. He, I can just see him stopping in mid-sentence and turning and saying, bring them up here. Y'all leave them alone. What can I do for you folks? What can I do for you, Bartimaeus? son of Timaeus, Jesus would have known exactly who he was. And I can see God saying to you and to I, what can I do for you? Because just like Jesus being God, God has compassion. And God is not too busy to answer your call. God is not too much involved in what he's doing that he can't stop and take time for you and for me. Oh, my friends, when you understand that we're desperate, God understands our desperation, and he turns, and he says, I've got time for you. And when you call on God, please don't think that your thing is too little or that you've asked too many times. Listen, God has time for you. It may not be his will to heal whatever it is that you're talking about, to do whatever it is that you're talking about. And we need to be sure we're asking for the right things. And even when we're trying to ask for the right things, sometimes it's just not in his will. But God does have compassion and God does have love and God does turn to us and say, yes, I will heal you because of your faith. Yes, I will do that thing because of your faith. Jesus has time for you. Your need is not out of his way. You are not in his way. We often get this feeling, well, God's got greater things to worry about, or God's got this to do, or God's got that to do, or whatever the case might be. No, you're not out of his way, and you're not in his way. God has time for you. That which seems sometimes to be out of the very step of God's will is exactly what God's will is. And that, I believe with all my heart, is why this account takes place at this moment just before he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey being hailed Hosanna. And the last thing of this last point, I say last point, y'all think I'm getting ready to close my Bible. I'm not. My last part of my last point is this. This was the last 
miracle Mark records that Jesus did. The last. But it's greater than that. And keep this in mind. Because remember the last should be first. The first should be last. And oftentimes it's the last things that we do. Or the first things that we do that remember the most. This is the last miracle that Jesus did. That Mark records. And quite possibly the last miracle that he did. Other than his resurrection from the grave. But the last miracle of healing. That he does. Before he's arrested. I say, I, say, I say before he's arrested because he healed the servant of the high priest's ear when he was arrested. But before that, this is the last miracle of healing before his arrest. But it gets better than that. Because you say, well, okay, it was the last one. This was also the last person to the, the last person or people to become followers of Christ before he enters into Jerusalem. Nobody else, nowhere else do we see anything recorded about anybody else turning and following him. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But this peop, this person, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, is significant because he is the last miracle. And the last follower. We need to keep on calling out to God in desperation until God does his last miracle and the last person comes to him. Maybe you'll be the last miracle before Christ comes again. If you're not saved today, maybe you'll be the last person to get saved before Christ comes again. Either way, it's significant that this last, this least, suddenly became first in Jesus' mind. And if we're desperate enough to keep on calling on him, then even when we think that God is just not going to do it, he may stop in his compassion and in his love and turn to you and say, what is it that you want me to do for you? Are we desperate enough? Or will we give up? I pray that God would help me. That God would help you in our prayer lives to ask for the right things. Understanding our destination. Understanding his character and not just our circumstance. But that our faith that he gives would allow us in the face of the scorners, in the face of the religious crowd, the Christians, the church members, whoever, and say, it's not, listen, I don't care what anybody else says, but God, I've got to talk to you about this. Will you this morning? Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us to be desperate. God, I pray that you would help us to cry out to you. God, that we would not become embarrassed by what others say, but that we would deem ourselves to be the least and allow you to make us first in your eyes. As you turn to us, as we know you will, and you give us the answer that's according to your will.
God, we would ask for the right things. We would pray for the right things. But God, also that we would pray desperately. For a touch. For a look. For a moment. With you. And God, that we would not waste that and leave it by the side. But that it would, your touch, your look, your word would be the motivation we need to follow and keep following. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. We thank you for listening to this message from the Word of God. At Pleasant Hill, we desire to be a help and a blessing to you. If you have any questions or prayer requests, or if we can be a help to you in your walk with God, we invite you to contact us here at Pleasant Hill by visiting our website at phbc.online. Thank you, and may God bless you.